Good day, and welcome to episode 48 of the Aaron Wayne Podcast. Hey guys, I just recorded this one, and I wanted to say that I talk about violence in this podcast. If you're not into it, skip to another one, but I gotta get this off my chest. I got a fire going behind you guys in my wood stove. So if you hear the pops and cracks, it's from the fire, trying to set some ambiance. In reality, my basement is just wicked cold. Heavy thoughts on my mind today, guys. I, um, been, so today's a Monday, I'm recording this podcast, uh, after a school day, and, uh, had a couple conversations with my kids today, and, um, some events at the schools, um, which are part of the public awareness. So I'll, uh, I'll talk about those a little bit. Um, and, um, as you guys know, the, there was, um, a, um, uh, there was a school shooting in, um, in Michigan, uh, about a week and a half ago. This podcast will probably post, several weeks after that took place but uh sorry for the crinkling of the microphone i'm just like twitchy and fidgety um and i wanted to get on the podcast and i wanted to talk about what the perspective of a teacher is in these situations and a lot of people post on their social medias and they say a lot of things and make a lot of claims and i think for me um, the only thing I can really rationally access are my emotions, uh, when it comes to these sorts of things. And, uh, it makes me feel sad, obviously, <laughs> duh, uh, it makes everybody feel sad. And, um, the thing that I'm perplexed by is how other people can have, um, a different emotion um, meaning specifically like all over the country and in my community included people, um, either making idle threats or joking about threats. And what I can't square is what it is that young people actually think about these sort of things, because I think the so if you like me, or in your 30s, uh, you may remember uh, doing these sort of lockdown drills and all these things that kids do, and that's just part of their, um, you know, regular experiences as kids growing up. And, you know, my wife's a first grade teacher, and I've only cried in front of my students once, and it was in reflecting on what the experience of my wife and her six-year-old kids must be like when they do lockdown drills. And um, the reason that that came up in conversation with my kids is because I think something that teachers don't often do is notice what's happening in a school environment and then offer space for kids to talk about it. And I think maybe an English class is sort of a unique space to do so. But the kids, when, when these things come up, like the kids want to talk about it and, and I want to learn what their experience is. And, um, a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, 
uh, probably pre-COVID um, because I had a full class of students in there. Um, and it wasn't this year. It's our first year we've had full kids uh, during the pandemic. Uh, the kids ask these questions and, the, you know, they, they go through these drills and they go through the experience of what it means to trying to protect themselves in these situations. And the thing that they are apt to discuss is how one would bypass the um, best laid plans of um, keeping kids safe, you know, and their rationale is, you know, these things don't happen by strangers. They happen uh, because of kids in the school. Um, so the kids in the school have obviously gone through the lockdown drills. So they um, very easily understand when the conversation starts that like th this, the kid could do X, Y, Z. And so I was actually up last night thinking um, about different strategies and that I think the bigger idea to discuss is what the experience of a teacher is in these spaces because, you know, I can't speak for my kids and to the extent that they've even like expressed how they truly feel about these things, I, I don't know. And I clearly don't know what they really think about these things because thinking about a kid making... Um, a joke or making light of this. Um, I'm not an advocate for censoring language. And I think that even, you know, the most unexpected places are, we can find humor in them. Um, and I think that that's a natural part of trying to grok what the terrible parts of life are. And it kind of helps soothe us. But I think this is a different category. Um, I think that it's akin to yelling, f you know, fire in a, a movie, crowded movie theater. And so I think that's a slightly different scenario. But back to my point, I think the experience of a teacher, which really came, I think my wife just got home. Well, let me pause this real quick. Okay, as I was saying, uh, you're going to hear my dogs scampering around as my wife settles in. Um, she just got home. So the insight I can offer is not the insight of the students because I'm not a student, and the things they've shared with me are secondhand. What I can offer is the insight of a teacher, and I think that it is very peculiar to think about how I'm going to protect these kids. First and foremost, statistically, this is not something to be concerned with. Thousands of schools in the country, um, tragic events happen, and just because it's in the news doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that we should be allowing to occupy a large bit of real estate in our brains. But it does, right? Um, so just to be clear, I don't think that this is something that is coming to uh, my town or that. Uh, let me get my point out. I'm just I'm sort of lost in thought here, guys. I'm stuck with this. Um, but I think that it, a couple things. It's really strange to be in a situation where I have to think about how am I going to protect my kids. And the thing that I want them to know that I can't really articulate 
in a school setting properly, what I say to them is like, I got your back when they bring up these concerns, like, but what if he does this? And what if he does that? Um, I don't really want to share in a public setting what it is that I, like, I, I would think about like how I would position myself in the room and, and so forth. But I, I, all I can say to them is like, I got your back and I hope they feel that. And I hope they know that. And my wife and I have been in a couple different situations where I've um, had to uh, sort of put myself at risk in order to solve a problem. And when this sort of thing comes up all the time, she says to me, like, just get out and, uh, and know that, uh, you know, she wants me to come home and, thing about these situations is that I uh, don't think that I could live in a space where that was my primary objective if something like this were to happen in my my school I couldn't I couldn't live with myself if I were to and it's not even like a how would I go about rationalizing to myself like what my objectives are in the minute in the in the moment it would be just knowing myself trying to protect my kids and I don't know how to articulate that to them and so that's one concern I have the mental well-being of young people knowing that their teachers have their back not knowing like what that scenario looks like what it and then the second thing that I'm thinking about is you know just read um, just read some articles recently about like who to blame and how to solve the problem. And I'm constantly reminded in almost every aspect of our public discourse that everyone is hacking at branches and no one is cutting the root. And the idea of like, how do we prevent access to means of violence misses the point. It misses the point because it's not about limiting people's access to the means of violence it's to limiting the discontent that would lead someone to perpetrate violence and it is a signifier of a profoundly sick society that this is an option on the table i mean it's seemingly anomalous within the history of people and it might have to do with proliferation and access to means of violence, but I don't think that's what it is. I think the kids are sad. And I think that they're told so frequently about how sad they are that it just circles and circles and circles. And going through being a teenager, Flannery O'Connor says anyone who has survived childhood has, and this is not in the context of any sort of violence, uh, she's, that's not how she meant it. She said anybody who's survived childhood has enough to write about for the rest of their lives. And I bring that quote up to, to you know reinforce the idea that just being a teenager is hard. 
it's not, it wasn't easy for you. It's, it wasn't easy for me. And right. it's not easy for my kids. But there's a, another, there, there, there are a handful of other factors now that have led to the kids being so sad. And I don't know how to fix that. One of the things that I've appreciated about having this podcast is that a lot of the podcasts I listen to are offering solutions from their perspective. And I don't think, I don't think I have a solution for this one. And I think that the problem with people always offering solutions on podcasts is that are in media or whatever is, you know, people in the public eye are charged with solving problems and offering solutions and, I think in a situation such as this, anybody who's offering a solution, they're not, they're not there. Because they're not in it. They don't know. They don't know what it means to every time there's a school shooting, I play in my head what I would do in that instance. And every time it happens, I, I come up with a, a plan to add on to the previous plan. And like, um, I should do this because that prevents this and I should do that. And if it's in this part of the building, this is what I'll do. If it's nearby, this is what I'll do. And, and I think that's, I think that's what I should be doing and it's taxing, but I don't think it's my job. If you can see the difference. In the circumstances that we find ourselves in culturally, it's what I ought to do. It's what I can't help doing, but it's what I ought to be doing. Then you might be able to hear Netflix upstairs. <laughs> My wife's having a snacky and watching Netflix. It's what I ought to be doing. And um, it's what I can't help but do, but the fact that this is in the sphere of the things tasked to a teacher and that a teacher can't help but thinking about is wrong and it's wrong that the kids have to contend with this because it further exacerbates the problem that is creating the problem, which is the kids are sad. They don't feel like they belong. They feel out of touch. They're digging and burrowing their ways into the depths of the internet, which is further giving them, you know, when I was a kid, I was into skateboarding. And in order for me to have gotten into skateboarding, I had to know a couple of people who were into skateboarding. And then the kids who really got good at skateboarding, I stopped hanging out with them because I felt as if I was holding them back and not keeping up. And so then I ended up going to sports and like that changed my trajectory. But the problem with the internet, which was an unintended negative consequence, is that kids who are could be a positive consequence 
could also be a negative consequence. Kids that don't inherently have any sort of like, they don't have anything going for them, you know? That's how I was growing up. I didn't have anything going for me. They're allowed to be in a shape, in a space where they don't have to learn a skill or interpersonal dynamics and to understand that, you know, hey, skateboarding is cool. Aaron, turns out you don't have the coordination, the capacity to take risks, like physical risks. Like, like just, Aaron, you don't, you can't do it. And no one ever said that to me, but through communing with skateboarders who obviously had it, I learned, okay, this isn't the thing for me. Let me move on to something else and see what fits. And that's a natural, normal part of being a young person. And even in the context of like the most solipsistic, introverted, unskilled kid, there's capacity to find something that fits. And the problem with the internet is they don't have to do that. They can just be on the internet with other sad kids talking about how sad they are. And that's the community that they form. And it wraps and wraps and wraps and wraps and wraps until these kids are completely lost in it. 99.99% of them will never perpetrate violence on others. But some do. I'd like to have clearer thinking on this, but I don't. To think that we put these kids through these lockdown drills all the time. So much that it becomes commonplace for them to talk about real... For them to... It affects some of them. Some of them are genuinely affected by it, and you can see it. But by the time they're 14, you know... It's... It's white noise. It's like, okay, we're, well, we don't have to learn for 10 minutes while we go through this drill. And the thing that really affected me was a few years ago when there was a shooting in Parkland. Um, it was the first time I had ever seen or even realized that people would have cell phones in these instances. And I refrained from ever seeing any of the graphic stuff. I don't know if it's out there. I'm sure it is. I don't think I could have contended with that, or at least it would have taken me a long time to wrap my head around any sort of images like that. But the, the videos of the kids in the classroom huddled up and you know, it's the real thing. It was haunting for me and it really affected me. And what I realized after I saw those videos of just, and again, no real violence, but just people huddled up, put on Snapchat and Instagram. This is pre TikTok is back in the day. As soon as I saw those videos, I realized my kids had seen those videos. And if my kids had seen those videos and no one was talking to them about it, they're just working through it independently and on their own. And so what is it now that my kids are being exposed to in regards to this most recent tragedy 
that their parents aren't hip to. Their parents are busy. They're working. They think about their kids in a in in many different ways, but like maybe they're thinking about this sort of thing, maybe they're not, but honestly like in most situations The dynamic between many parents and kids, again, I'm not a parent, so it's easy for me to say this, but my my hunch is that the dynamic between many parents and kids is much more challenging to navigate when it comes to serious topics because there's so much history between parents and kids. And kids see their parents at their worst and grumpiest and kids and parents see their kids at their worst and grumpiest. But a a teacher has a slightly different lens in which to view the way students feel about these sorts of serious things. And within the context of being in their peer group, they can also discuss it in a very different way. And so I haven't really talked much about this with my kids. Came up in my Bruin, which is like our homeroom kind of thing. And, um... They didn't have too many thoughts or opinions about it. They were sort of blasé. Like, yeah, this is what happens. But a couple of years ago, they were very curious. Like, what would we do if X, Y, Z? I can't... I can't really string all this together for you. But I wanted to pop in and kind of get my thoughts on record I mean I don't know what it's like I don't know what it would be like for here's a controversial conversation some people talk about I don't know what it would be like what the protocols that would be necessary for a teacher to have Um, means of protection in a classroom and I think that conversation often gets skewed to say well we'll give a gun to all of the teachers it's like obviously that is not a good idea (laughs) I work with teachers not to say that they're not competent capable adults and individuals but you know who they don't know not everybody knows knows how to operate a firearm, nor are they willing, and nor should they be tasked with that responsibility. But I think that there is place for a conversation for people who are willing to go through the same level training as a police officer. I mean, how long do cops, how long do cops get? A friend of mine's a cop, he listens to the podcast, texts me, "How, how much firearm training do police officers get, and how frequently? Couldn't we just do that with teachers as well um a very select group of two to three people within a building who ask to do it shouldn't it be on the table to discuss not to say that this is what we do but what means do you have to just wait and hope it doesn't come to you but then what guilt what guilt is involved psychologically for all these people who have been affected to say when when they're in the moment like please don't come to my room but then understanding that you're wishing that 
on someone else. The psychological ramifications of that must be devastating. I don't wish either side of that on anybody. And um, I think that it might be it might be time for sober people to have a sober conversation about what it means to allow schools and people that work in them to go through whatever it needs to be gone through to protect themselves. Not landing on one side of it. Just think it might be worth. I'm willing to, I think I'm leaning towards one side of it, but I'm happy to be wrong so long as we can find a solution. And what I really hope is that, I hope two things. I feel strongly about two things. The people that have been affected by any tragedy or trauma, but specifically this one that I'm discussing, really hits close to home. And I know the dynamics of a classroom. I know what it feels like to be in there. I know how good it can be. And um, for those who've felt how bad it can be, I have love and empathy and support. I don't know what support looks like, but maybe just talking about this freely from a teacher's perspective can be my means of support in the moment. And then the second thing I hope is that we can find as a society ways to heal the pain that people feel. We have to find a way to heal the pain that people feel. And I want to help. I'll see you guys in the next one.